Father, we do pray in Jesus' name that there should be no wasted time for anybody right now. Or that you would do a work in every one of our hearts, whether someone is, is just learning about you or someone's walked with you for decades. We pray, Lord, would you do a deep work in us? Would you empower us to be able to be people that know how to win the fight in spiritual warfare? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd say most of us probably in this room and live streaming have, at this time, by now, have discovered that life is hard. That life is a struggle. In fact, it never really conforms to the rosy idealism of our dreams or to the romanticism of our songs. And by the way, the explanation, too, for this struggle is much deeper than most people have ever stopped and thought about. See, the common view of our struggle is that in this present world situation, we are engaged in a struggle primarily with flesh and blood, primarily with other people, other men and women. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, as we've seen the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 6, that our warfare is not, our struggle is not, our conflict is not with flesh and blood. It is something very much deeper than that. See, the basic problem that the Bible describes that we have been born into is that there is a war going on. There is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And men and women are not just on that battlefield. Men and women are that battlefield. The battle is visible to us not only in the wars and the revolutions and the crime waves that oppress us and fill our news outlets every night as we watch, but also this conflict and this tension is evident in individual lives, the fears that dominate people, the neurotic problems, the mental illnesses which afflict people, the family fights, the struggles in different churches. And what we've seen the last couple of weeks particularly is that the whole human race, according to Ephesians chapter 6, has fallen under the control of dark satanic powers. The Apostle Paul calls those the world rulers of this present darkness. The picture, if you read the Bible from beginning to end, the picture is that all human beings, without exception, regardless of how clever you are, how educated you are, how cultured you are, all human beings, without Christ, are helpless victims of this satanic control. Under the control of satanic forces, human beings are unhappy, they're uncomfortable, but they're also completely unable to escape by any wisdom of their own or power of their own this type of bondage. But the good news is this. The good news is that some have been set free. The good news is that the Bible teaches that the stronger one has come. Jesus Christ has come and he has done such an assault on the kingdom of darkness that people can now be set free from that dark domain. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, through the amazing mystery, we don't totally grasp it all, but through this amazing mystery, what Christ came to do on that cross, when he hung there, took all your sins upon himself and mine, absorbed our judgment, and then died for us, died in our place, died the death we should have died, substituted for us, 
was buried. On the third day, he rose again. But some, there was a power that was released through the death and resurrection of Christ that can break the power of every demonic bondage. Those who individually repent and believe in Jesus Christ now have the possibility to live in freedom and liberty. But how? How can we all live in freedom and liberty, the freedom and liberty of the children of God? How do we do it? Well, the Apostle Paul, we saw the last couple of weeks, says this in Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we spent the last two weeks going through that armor, what each piece of the armor represents and how we put on each piece of that armor. But then Paul says one more thing. There's one more thing you must do. In addition to putting on all the pieces of the armor and making your stand against all the assaults of the devil to withstand all of his schemes, there's one more thing you must do. He says in Ephesians 6, 18, he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There's one more thing you must do to win the fight. You must pray. And you must pray a certain way to win the fight. In fact, there's four alls here that I think are pretty significant. If we're going to win the fight, we must have all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's what it's going to take to win the fight. Okay? But what exactly does that kind of praying look like? I mean, let's get real practical here. How should I pray in such a way that I might win the fight? How do I pray for others in such a way that they might win the fight? What does that prayer look like? What is the content of that prayer? How should I pray this prayer? Well, remember, this is all being taught to us in Ephesians chapter 6. This epistle to the Ephesians, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Ephesian believers, believers living in Ephesus in that first century. In chapter 6, he talks about spiritual warfare to them. And they very much understood about this spiritual fight they were in. Many of them had been converted out of the occult background in Ephesus. We learned that from the book of Acts. They understood about this dark, unseen world that they had to fight against. So Paul talks about how to win that fight in Ephesians 6. But back in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3, the Apostle Paul prays for these believers. Remember now, these are the believers who he's teaching about spiritual warfare. He prays for them to win the fight. How does he pray for them? Now, he just talked about the importance of them praying a certain way that they could win the fight, but he prays for them in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. What I want to propose to you is that the way the Apostle Paul is praying for them in chapter 1 and chapter 3 is he's praying for them in such a way that they would win the spiritual fight. So if we go back to those two prayers, we can learn how we ought to pray to win the fight and pray for others that they might win the fight as well. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's go ahead and jump right into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, For this reason, Paul speaking here, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, 
do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. Let's stop there. There's something he wants, he's praying that they would know. Something that if they would just know what he's about to pray for them, if they would just know this, they could win the fight over spiritual darkness. Now, the knowledge he's talking about here is more Hebrew than Greek. What I mean by that is it, he is talking about a knowledge that is experiential as well as mental. It's not just understanding information knowledge, which is more of the Greek view of knowledge. It is experiential knowledge. It's knowledge you experience. So he's talking about that they would know, first of all, they would know him. They would know God himself, not just know about God, but know him. And such knowledge is impossible without revelation. We cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. That's very clear. That's why Paul prays this. He says, he prays that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's, re he's referring to the spirit, Holy Spirit of truth, who is the agent of revelation. He's praying that the, he would actually reveal uh, to our inner eyes. I mean, we have this, you know, your inner eyes are simply you know, the eyes inside you, that they'd be enlightened, that you could really, your being could really grasp knowledge of God. So what he's about to do is he's about to now break this down into here's what he wants us to know in relationship to God if we're going to win the fight in spiritual warfare. And again, he's talking about really know, really experience. There's four things. He's going to pray for the saints to know three of those three, those three of those four things in chapter one. He's going to pray for the fourth one in chapter three. But if we know these four things, if we really know them, you can't lose this fight. If we will really get these four things that we need to pray that we all get for ourselves and for others, if we get them, you can't lose the fight. So let's walk through what these four things are. Number one, the first thing he's going to pray that we know is the hope of God's call. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, the question here ought to be in our minds, well, what did God call us for? In fact, God calls us to something and God calls us for something. What does he call us to that we must really know? Well, first and foremost, he calls us to Christ. He calls us to Christ. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to freedom. He calls us to peace. He calls us to suffering. He calls us to glory. But let me just simplify it. What he's really calling us to is an altogether a different life, a life of knowing, loving, and serving Christ. That's what he's called every Christian to. We are called to Christ. And he wants us to know that deep down. No, you're not just like everybody else you rub shoulders with, that you work by, you live by, you go to school with. You are different. You have been called to Christ. He's saying, I want you to know that. 
I pray you know that. But you've not only been called to something, you've been called for something. What have you been called for? Well, you've been called for a mission. You have been called to the highest possible calling that's, that you can have on planet Earth. You are an ambassador of Christ. You're called to represent him. Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you recreate, you are called for a mission. You're called to Christ. You're called for Christ. That's what the calling is. And he's saying, I, want, I pray you know that. I pray you know that you're different. You are called to Christ. You are called for Christ. I pray you know it. Do you see how if that really, if that really got a hold of it where you knew that experientially, how that caused you to live differently and how that caused you to win the fight? Because if you don't know that, if you don't know you're called to Christ and you don't know you're called for a mission, if you don't really know that, I mean really know it, then the devil can get you off track so easy. And so that's the first thing. Never forget it. We pray. We pray for that for ourselves today. We pray that we would know the hope of his calling. You have been called to Christ. You have been called for Christ. We pray. We pray. We know it. We know it. Well, secondly... There's a second thing he prays that believers would really know. Ephesians 1.18, that we know the glory of God's inheritance. Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which we just talked about. Secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, just so we don't lose our ball in the weeds here, what is he talking about? Well, there's a parallel passage in Colossians 1.12 that's a little bit easier to understand what he's talking about here. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what he's talking about is clearly God's inheritance is referring to what he will give to us. What is waiting for us in heaven there is an inheritance. There is a riches. In fact, the glory of the riches of this inheritance he's talking about. Peter says it this way. The apostle Peter, Peter, 1 Peter 1.4, talks about to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So what is our inheritance? What is reserved in heaven for you? Well, we know that for the Christian... Not only do you get to go to heaven because you have repented and believe in Christ, Jesus, as your Savior and Lord, but for the Christian, there is going to be commendations given out. I want you to think about that for a moment. You're going to see Jesus' face, and you're going to see his lips move when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It is going to be a very real moment. There's commendations. There are rewards handed out for faithfulness. There are crowns put on heads. There are future assignments given based on what you did with what he gave you right now will determine what he trusts to you in the kingdom to come. There's all kinds of treasures in heaven. This is our inheritance waiting for us. He says the Holy Spirit given to us right now in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, he says, is the down payment of the inheritance to come. So right now we have the down payment. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us as believers and we can taste joy. We taste peace. We have a taste of the kingdom to come, but it's only a taste. It's a down payment. The inheritance, the fullness of the inheritance is waiting. 
And he wants us to know that. He wants us to know whatever we go through down here is worth it because what's waiting for us, the inheritance waiting for us, all those things, crowns, assignments, commendations, rewards, this glorious place, heaven, we're going to live in. But there's one more thing, which I think is the ultimate thing that we get to inherit. And that is we get to see God's face. We get to see Christ. We get to see what many of the ancients have called a beatific vision. A vision that's so powerful that just seeing it changes us. The Bible says that when we see him, we'll become like him. We'll see him as he is. We were going to be transformed. And we will not just know in part. The Bible says when you see him, you won't just know in part. You will know fully as you're fully known. What a moment that will be. Paul says, I want you to know that's coming. I want you to know about your inheritance. I pray you know about it. Because if you know about it, then you're not going to be easily swayed by all the temptations down here. And so there's, there's, he wants, he wants, he's praying that they know that. I've used this, uh, this rope illustration I want to use again. I actually stole it from Francis Chan some time ago, but I want to use it because I want you guys to see something. It's so important that we live this time right now here in light of what's coming if we're going to win the fight. If we have an eternal perspective, we really live for that inheritance to come, then it'll dramatically impact the decisions we make right now. We won't be easily swayed by all the temptations of the devil. But I want you to look at this rope because I want this rope is going to represent a timeline of your life. You are going, I want you to just imagine this rope just goes on forever. It just goes out the building or out into, you know, past the galaxies. It goes forever. And I want you to realize that this is a timeline of your life, and you will live forever. In fact, everyone lives forever, just we don't know where. Each person is going to choose where they're going to live. But you will live forever. You are going to live, and you are going to exist for millions and millions, hundreds of millions of years. Forever and ever, you will exist. That's what this rope represents. But this little, this black end of this rope will represent your life right now here on earth. That's it. That's all. That's your life on earth. You live that small, very brief time on earth, and then you live forever and ever and ever. And what the Bible basically teaches is this. How we live during this very brief time will determine how we're going to live Forever. Forever. And I tell you, it's amazing to me how many people, even who are in churches, sitting around churches all over the world today, how many of them, maybe even how many of you, live their lives like this is all there is? Just that little black part. And all the decisions you're making are all in light of just this this little time right here. Like, I want to work real hard and I want to save a lot of money to right here and then I can retire right here. <laughs> and then I can have a lot of money, eat good, go on lots of vacations, travel, and golf. And then die. And I've had people say, you know, the decisions you're making, Gary, are just crazy. You know, the kind of decisions you're making, I'm saying, wait a second. The decisions I'm making are crazy. You're saying because I'm making certain decisions in light of of where I'm going to live. I mean, this is you're making it crazy. You're living for all this right here, and you're not even thinking about all this. You know, when I <clears throat> had a lot of interesting conversations with my father, he didn't become a believer until right before he died, about three months before he died. 
I shared the gospel with him for 35 years. And we had lots of interesting conversations because I turned down some high-paying jobs to go into the ministry. In fact, uh, after right before we started Grace Community Church, I had a, a job offer for $220,000 a year. And I took it, and we started Grace Community Church, and I think it was for 30000 My dad's hearing all these kind of decisions. He says, you're crazy. You're crazy. The kind of decisions you're making, I mean, you're making these kind of decisions. What are you going to do here? And I said, Dad, you're crazy. You're making all kinds of decisions. What are you going to do here? <laughs> Forever and ever, what matters is the decisions we're making right now. The glory of, the riches of the glory of his inheritance is what we're living for. Can you see how, if, that, if we really know that, if we know that, how, how it would be very hard for us to lose this fight against the enemy? If we are living for that glorious inheritance. So that's the second thing he's praying, that we would know that. We would know that inheritance. In fact, he says we'd know the glory of that inheritance. In fact, he says we'd know the riches of the glory of that inheritance. That'll dramatically impact how we live our lives. So there's a third thing he prays for these believers that they would win the fight, and that is the greatness of God's power. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, now this is the third one, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So how can we know the surpassing greatness of the power of God? I mean, know it, experience it, lay hold of it. Well, first of all, we know something of it because of the public demonstration of the resurrection of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. The resurrection and the ascension of Christ were decisive, really, demonstrations of divine power. For there are two powers which man cannot control, but two which actually, these two powers actually hold man in bondage, and that is death and evil. Man is mortal, he cannot avoid death. Man is fallen, he cannot overcome evil. But God in Christ has conquered both of those. Therefore, since he conquered them both, he can rescue us from both. Here's the point he wants to say in what we just read this passage. The very same resurrection power which God exhibited in Christ when he raised him from the dead and ascended him to heaven. That same power, he says, is available for us today. Do you believe that? That's what he says. He says the very same power that raised Christ from the dead and, and, and exalted him to the, God's right hand, that same power, he says, is available to us. I like to put it this way. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of that resurrection, the truth of that is that that was enough power to open every closed door. Amen. Because if that power could open the ultimate closed door, what is the ultimate closed door? The ultimate closed door is not just the tomb. It is the door of death itself has been opened. And the resurrection is the power that opened up 
open up that door. Now, again, after Jesus died on the cross, remember, he goes to the cross, he takes all your sin, all my sin, absorbs our judgment, takes our place, dies in our place. Then when he dies, he's buried. On the third day, the tomb is opened. It's not just the tomb is opened, death is opened. And Jesus rises from the dead. By the way, up to 500 people saw this at one time. Very public demonstration of God's power. We say that same power is available to us if we will lay hold of it today. Same power is available for us to, whatever closed doors, whatever challenges we have, there's no door tougher to open than that door that Christ opened in the resurrection. And that power is available to all of us today. Paul saying, I, I, I want you to know it. I mean, know it, be able to lay hold of it. Hold that, lay hold of that power. Resurrection power is available to you and to me today. And my prayer for us is that we would know it, that we know that kind of power. You know, this morning, there are some people, I think all of us appear to be free today. I mean, you, you woke up freely, you ate breakfast freely, you dressed freely, you drove here freely, you're sitting here freely. We all look free. But veneer, beneath that veneer, if we're totally honest, there's a lot of people here today and watching a live stream that aren't so free. But you're enslaved. Some of you are enslaved to the acquisition of money and power. Some of you are enslaved to some destructive relationship that all the smart people in your life have told you to get out of, but you can't or you won't. Some of you are enslaved to a computer screen late at night that's just tormenting your soul, but for some reason you keep coming back to it. Some of you enslaved to a substance, a drug or, or alcohol, and you just can't stop. You say you're going to stop, but you can't stop. You keep going back to it. There's a bondage there. So a lot of people appear to be free, but haven't yet been able to be free, to get free. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says there is resurrection power available for all of us who have been enslaved to walk through that door and be free. There is power for us to, to truly be in freedom and liberty from every addiction, every oppression, every harassment, every, every type of op oppression we can be free from. There's power for that. The question is, do you know it? I mean, do you know, 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 know it? I mean, that you can lay hold of that power. Do you know it? Next Sunday at 5 p.m., we're going to have a special meeting right here in this room. Everyone is invited. I'm asking all of our elders and their wives and our staff and their wives or husbands and, or, and, and all of our leaders to come to be ready to pray for people during that 5 o'clock meeting next week, 5 p.m. right in this room. I'm asking our leaders to join me and at least fasting for part of that week before that meeting. Some of you maybe fast a day, some of you a couple days. But I'm asking our leaders and all of our intercessor leaders and our Grace House of Prayer to be part of that prayer team with our elders and our pastors. And I'm asking everyone who is struggling with any addiction, any oppression, any demonic harassment, whatever it may be, and you want freedom from it, to come next week at 5 o'clock in this room. Do you believe God can set people free like this? Yes. 
Now, I'm not saying there's not times that people go through counseling and small groups, and sometimes there's healing and deliverance through that. That's all good. But I'm talking about let's, let's come together and let's ask God to do some instantaneous deliverance. Let's see people set free. My prayer is there would be nobody in bondage in this church. Nobody under any addiction, any enslavement, any oppression. They'd be set free. Some of you have come out of, 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 of some dark backgrounds. Some of you come out of occult backgrounds. Some of you have family members still in the occult. There's all kinds of things, and you feel the torment of it. Some of you are having bad dreams. You cannot get set free from You're being tormented. Let's end it. There's power to do that. But you've got to know it. Paul prays that we'd know that power. So I'm asking you guys to, to come to this meeting if you need prayer. I tell you what, I don't know why you wouldn't come to this meeting if you, if you need it. Why would you not want this? So come. I'm asking leaders to come prayed up, come fasting, and let's watch what God will do if we'll lay hold of this power, know this power. Paul's praying that believers would know the power of the resurrection. It's available. I mean, it's available right now. It's available today. Some of you can be, are, can be set free before you walk out of this room. But I also want to lead up to a time where we really go after it because some of this is deep. And we want to see it broken. Well, there's one more thing Paul prays that the believers in Ephesus would know and that we would know. And that's really found, and now we go to chapter 3 because Paul prays again. Chapter 3, let's see what he prays for here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and here it is, here's what he's praying for, you may, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of of God. So the Apostle Paul is praying to God the Father that he would do something through the power of the Holy Spirit in these people's lives. Now, typically, when I think about the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm thinking well, you know, about miracles and people's lives being dramatically changed. And Paul's talking about here about the Holy Spirit's power, inner power for people, a strength in people that they might know and understand the love of Christ which he says is beyond knowledge. He says, and if that happens, then they will be filled up to the fullness of God. You see what the goal is? The goal is that we'd be filled up to the fullness of God, right? I mean, what better thing could you pray for somebody than that? I mean, that's like the ultimate prayer for somebody, isn't it? They'd be filled up with the fullness of God. There's nothing you can pray for someone better than that. It's the ultimate prayer request. But Paul gives a progression here. He says, here's the progression. He says, I, I bow and I pray before God. Why? So that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Okay? Why? So that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Okay, why is that? So that you might know the love of Christ. How much Christ loves you. Why? So that in the end you would be mature and complete, filled up with the fullness of God. That leads us to the fourth thing that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers that they would know and that we would know so we can win the fight, and that is the greatness of Christ's love for you. I mean, the more I understand how much Jesus Christ loves me, the more I'm filled up with the fullness of God. Think about that. The more I really, really know 
the love of Christ, how much he loves me, the more I'm filled up to the fullness with the fullness of God. I mean, we love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us, right? Well, the more I know how much he really loves me, the more I love him and love others, and the more I become like him, filled up to the fullness of God. Paul, Paul prays, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened. Now, the word grant is important here. He said, no matter how hard that we work and study, how many times you, you, you know about the love of Christ from the Bible, He's saying there is a depth of the love of Christ you cannot know unless the Holy Spirit does something inside you and enables you to know it. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I pray that happens to you. I'm praying the Holy Spirit will strengthen you and your inner man that you might know the depth, the breadth, the length, the height, the love of Christ. You know, he he's wants us to, he's praying this would happen. Supernaturally, it would happen. You know, Tracy and I, we just really love, uh, we love our 20-somethings in our church family, our young adult group. We love them. We've had many of them in our home. But we have resisted over the years trying to fix them up with each other. <laughs> it has been hard to do, but we've resisted it because we realize you really can't make someone love someone. Well, the truth is this. The Apostle Paul is saying something like that here. He's saying, I can't make you fall in love with Jesus. I can tell you about him. I mean, I can tell you how great and glorious he is. I can tell you how much he loves you. I can tell you, you know, you, you know, you know about the God, the creator, and he made you, and you rebelled in sin, but he loved you so much he sent his one and only son, and Jesus loved you so much he came and died for you. I can tell you all that. But you can't get the depths of knowing how much he loves you unless the Holy Spirit does something special in you to reveal that to where you just know, you just know he loves me. I know he loves me. There's something that happens that only the Holy Spirit can do. I can teach you and teach you about all the things, and there's a certain level I can teach you about the love of Christ, but even then you could still go, oh, that's nice. Can we go to lunch now? But there's something that we pray in. We pray in that something happens to you inside that you just know the depths of how much he loves you. You know, I don't believe there's ever been a couple, a truly spirit-filled couple in history that's been divorced, that got divorced. I don't believe a truly spirit-filled couple's ever been divorced. See, I don't think the issue really in the marriage struggles that they had that led up to that divorce, the conflict, I don't really believe the issue was so much that they just didn't know his needs and her needs and love languages and all that. And I'm not saying that isn't helpful. I'm just saying that I think the bottom line is that so many of these couples didn't understand how much Jesus loves them, and they're, asking, and they're demanding the other person to fill this emptiness. And they can't do it. And that leads to all kinds of problems and tensions and fighting and arguments. And until that emptiness is filled by the only person that can fill it, we're not really free to give ourselves away to somebody. See, the issue is a lack of understanding, lack of knowing, the kind of knowing he's talking about here, experiential knowing the love of God, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, so many people spend so much time on the outer man, the outer woman. You know, I mean, you know, an hour in front of the mirror and really making the outer man or outer woman ready to go out and look good. I know some of you college guys are thinking, when you talk an hour, it takes me two minutes. I'm at, <laughs> but you don't look that good either, so I'm just telling you. <laughs> but think about all these people spend all this time on the outer man and don't spend any time on the inner man. 
the inner woman, making sure that this person is strengthened, strengthened how? Number one way, that they know the love of Christ, that we know how much we're loved by Christ. So I want to ask you just a question. I want you just to think about it for a moment. Don't answer too quickly. Don't answer out loud. No raising hands, but just between you and God, are you sure without a, without a doubt, are you sure, absolutely sure that Jesus loves you? Are you 100% sure? What percent are you sure that Jesus loves you? So, well, I, I know he loves the world. I've been taught that, you know, since I was a kid. I'm not talking about does he love the world. Do you know he loves you? That he really loves you. Could you stand before him and just go, I know you love me. I know you're crazy about me. Because he is. He really, he loves us. He's loved us our whole life. He's been serenading us our whole life. How much do you think God the Father loves God the Son? How many of y'all would say he loves the Son a whole lot, okay? How about perfectly? Where's what Jesus says? Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now, did you catch that? Just as the Father loves me, I love you. The same amount of love the Father has for the Son, I have for you. And I tell you, when we, uh, we, we pray that we'd get that, we pray that we'd know that. Paul, Paul prays that because he knows if you get that, if you get that, what's the devil going to do? How's the devil going to stop you? You can't lose the fight. I'll be honest with you. My tendency through my years of ministry has been to try to fix things that are wrong with a sermon. And what I learned from this passage some time ago is I can't do that. There's some, there's some things that only the Holy Spirit can do, and I can just all I can do is pray for it to happen. Pray it in. You know, there's been so many times that I've tried to really focus on, you know, really the symptom of the problem. You know, in marriage counseling, you're focusing on symptoms. And all, all counseling, there's a tendency to focus on symptoms. Or really, what is the issue is not, you know, I want to get you off of drugs. I want to get you guys to reconcile your marriage. But there's something deeper there that needs to be fixed. And that is, they, they don't really believe Christ loves them. And we pray that for each other. We pray that the emptiness would be filled and we would know. Something supernatural would happen and we would know. Know without shadow of a doubt, Christ loves me. Paul says those are the four things he prays for those Ephesian believers who are facing spiritual warfare. Why? Because he wants them to win the fight. And those are the four things that we're going to pray for ourselves right now. And I ask you, I'd ask you, would you pray those four things? I will pray, I will pray these four things for you the rest of my life. I'm asking you to also pray those four things for me and for Tracy the rest of our lives because we all need it. We all need these four things. Let's all stand up, and we're going to close this time in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just ask there be nothing, there be nothing wasted now in this moment of prayer. That you would do a mighty work now by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. We're asking you to do it. We're believing, Lord, that you want to do it. You're a good, good father. So we pray that we would know, we would know 
the hope of God's call, that we would know without a shadow of doubt that you have called us to Christ and you have called us for Christ. That even right now we'd be marked deep in our spirit that we would know that. We're not like everybody else. That we've been called to Christ, to relationship with him. We've been called for him. We have a mission, Lord, that we'd know that. We pray, Lord, we'd know the glory of God's inheritance. We would know about this eternal inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We'd never forget that, that this life, this brief, vaporous life right now is just like the internship of the real job that's coming, that we would know it. We'd know all the rewards worth it. It's worth everything. We'd sacrifice everything we could suffer. We'd know it. Father, we pray we'd know the greatness of God's power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to God's right hand. We pray we'd know this power. We'd lay hold of it. That we'd know no door, no door can withstand the power of the resurrection. We can open every door. You can set people free from every addiction, oppression, harassment. And even today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to do it. I pray today even people walk out of here, Lord, free. Walk to their cars free in Jesus' name because they know it. They've, they laid hold of this power. They're believing for it. And Lord, we pray too that we'd know the greatness of Christ's love, that we'd know, Lord Jesus, how much you love us, that you would just really capture our hearts with your great passion and love for us. That this idea that if, it just, if we just look your direction, it's like your heart misses a beat because you're so in love with us. Lord, we pray we know that that we know it, cast our hearts. But also, Lord, we want to pray for others. Lord, there's their family members and friends and classmates and coworkers, Lord, that we want to pray for. So just right now, just bring them across, bring their face across our mind's eye right now because we want to pray for them, Lord. We pray for them. We pray for them, and you can even just whisper their name, Lord. We pray they would know the hope of God's call. And if they don't know Christ, we, Lord, well, we ask you to call them to Christ. Call them to Christ. Call them to the mission. We pray they know the glory of God's inheritance. They know, Lord, there's eternal, eternity is, is they're part of, they're eternal beings, and they're going to spend eternity, Lord, and they'd live for that. We pray, Lord, they know the greatness of your power. We ask you, Lord, to set people free, to break off bondages. Lord, let them lay a hold of this power. And we pray, Lord, they'd know the greatness of Christ's love. And we end with that, Lord, that all these people we're thinking of right now, we pray above everything else, we pray that they would know, Jesus, you love them. They, they would know it. And I just want to remind you, Lord, and the Apostle Paul was kicking at the goads, and he's on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians at you. You met him on the road to Damascus. And Lord, and, and actually, as he gives his testimony, it says, you say, you appeared and you appointed. You appeared to him and you appointed him. So we're asking you, Lord, for all those people that were having our minds out, would you appear to them and appoint them? Appear to them just like you did, Paul. Appear to them and appoint them to ministry, Lord. Release, Lord, just release an army of prodigals coming home, of people being saved, of Christians growing up, and all of it being done by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to do that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for this meeting coming up. Lord, that you would do it. It'd be one of the most dramatic nights ever in the history, not of just this church, but the church. Lord, we ask you to set it up for that, for your name's sake, for your glory, and for our need for that. We pray, Lord, believing and expecting.
and with thanksgiving. 